So I think there was kind of a reason why God had me, uh, put that over there, hopefully it won't fall down, why God had me do that, and that was because I think it fits right into what our topic is today. See, a couple weeks ago, Greg gave me a call and said, hey, Rob, I need some help. Hey, Tommy, how's it going? That's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> um, he gave me a call and said, hey, Rob, I need you to help me out. I had a scheduling problem. I have to go to Tennessee on this weekend to go marry some of the members of our church, and I need you to see, would you be willing to step in to teach? And I said, well, that only gives me a week and a half to, to prepare something, but sure, I will I'll, I'll gladly do that. And he said, okay, you can teach on whatever you want. I'm not expecting you to teach through the, uh, the plan that we have right now. Just pick something. It can be topical. It can be whatever. Just, just pick something. And I was like, well, thank you for narrowing it down for me, Greg. I just, you know, there's only 60 some odd books in the Bible. I'll just, I'll just pick one and just go. But as I was in my quiet times, God was telling me, don't leave Colossians yet. Don't leave Colossians. Stay there. I said, okay, well, that's still four chapters of material. We've already covered almost all of it. Where, where do I go from here? And so I was reading through Colossians. I was actually, you know, listening to Will's sermon a little bit and writing down notes and, and reading through that. And as I was reading through the last chapter, God said, this is where I want you. Colossians 4.17. And so, if you would open your Bibles with me, or turn on your smartphones and turn on your Bibles with me, and flip over to Colossians 4.17, we're only going to do one verse today, just one verse. And I'm excited about this one verse because of everything that is in there for us today. There's a lot. And so, um, if you guys have quick fingers and are able to hold places in your Bible, we're going to be jumping over a lot of Scripture today. So get ready for it, because we're about to get started with what God has for us. Colossians 4.17, if you would stand as we read God's Word, please. Colossians 4.17, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Lord God, as we dive into your word, please continue to bless the reading and teaching of your word. Open our hearts to what you have to say to us and tell us what you want us to do about it. In Jesus' name, amen. Have your seats. Thank you. All right. So, Colossians 4 17, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now, First off, if I mess up this name, I apologize, because I've been saying it for the past two weeks, Archippus, and then my wife corrected me last night and said, are you sure that's how you say it? My wife is, is great at correcting me on that, and uh, I've, we, we looked it up, and in fact, uh, the majority of the pronunciations say Archippus, so if I say it wrong, I apologize. Uh, please have grace with me on that. So first thing we're going to do is we're going to get into a little bit of background about who this guy is, because um, if you're like me, when I first read this, I had no idea who this guy was or why Paul decided to, to speak to him in this scripture. So the first thing I want to do is take a look at the regional area that 
these writings, these uh, apostolic letters were going to. So when we look at the first map, if you take a look at this, we're talking about Asia Minor and Southern Greece and a little bit of Italy when you talk about where Paul currently is. Now, if you look at the names, this is from first century, uh, the first century between approximately 30 AD and about 70 AD is the time frame we're looking at. And if you look at some, go back one slide, please. If you look at the, uh, look at Asia Minor, you can see probably some familiar names. If you've ever read through 1 Peter, Peter starts out his, his letter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So you can see right in that area, that's where Peter was writing his letter. Now, Paul did much of the same thing. He wrote to many of the same areas as Christianity was spreading throughout that area of the world, southern and western Europe and throughout Asia. So the next slide that we have is a picture of where Paul did a lot of his writings. Now, I know that's kind of small, so I apologize. Put on your reading glasses. I have mine on so I can read that. But on this map right here, we see Rome, and that's where we believe Paul is. This letter, we think, was written about 67-ish AD, okay? So 67 uh, years after or, or around when Jesus was born. And the key cities you see on there, Paul was from the city of Tarsus, which is on the far right side of the map, as you see there, kind of around where Syria is today, Syria and Lebanon. And then we see on there some of the pretty familiar names. We see Philippi, we see Thessalonica, we see Corinth, we see Ephesus, and we see Rome. We see a lot of cities that we're familiar with, mainly because those are the names of the letters that he wrote that we include in our Bible, because those are the cities they were written to. Now, the apostolic letters were very, very important to the people of this time. Why? Because there was no consolidated written documentation of Jesus' teachings at this time. Most of what Jesus was uh, teaching people was done word of mouth. They went and told stories, and that's what most of what people did was tell stories in order to communicate things. And people had a much better ability to memorize things than I know I do today. Because if I had to memorize all the things that they memorize and recite to each other, it be, would be done. So um, it was amazing that what they would do is they would hear these stories, they would communicate them word of mouth, and they were very, very particular about making sure that what they communicated was exactly what the story was or was exactly meant to be communicated. Now, during that time, they also still had the Jewish old, what we call the Old Testament or the Jewish writings. And if you go to the next slide, we'll see kind of a breakdown of what the Jewish writings, the collection that they had is kind of termed the Tanakh, which is an acrostic, which stands for the Torah, the Navim, and the Ketuvim. Now, the Torah in Christianity, what we kind of call that is the Pentateuch, Pentateuch being five, Penta being five, meaning the first five books of the Bible, all right? So that's our Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Then you have the, and what the Jews would call that is the law. If you ever hear in the Old Testament as you're reading through, they talk about the law and they talk about the prophets. Well, the law was that Torah, that first five books. Now we have the Navim. 
The Nevi'im is what they would call the prophets. These are all the prophetic writings that we have, all the way from Joshua through Malachi, kind of talking about the future of what Israel uh, is going to be if they don't change their ways or what God has already said is going to happen to them. And then we have the Ketuvim, which is the, um, the writings that were more poetic writings. And then there was also some other uh, history in there. If you look through First and Second Chronicles, there's a restatement of some of the history uh, from a different angle. So this is what the Old Testament writings were. These were written on scrolls, and they were passed around to the synagogues uh, throughout the region, wherever the Jews lived. And so they would have copies of these, and they would read from them. But they didn't have this for Jesus' writings yet. It didn't exist. They were still being written down and documented. So what the apostles did was that they had learned from Jesus. They had been discipled by Jesus. And then Jesus sent them out as apostles to go out to all the world to preach the gospel and baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. So their job at this time was to go make disciples. So they would travel around the region. They would build churches up. They would appoint elders, they would appoint deacons, they would appoint pastors to run the churches, and then they would commission them to continue the work that they had seen them doing. And then they would leave and go somewhere else. And then they would write these letters after hearing about what's going on, and they would encourage them, they would correct them when they'd see them going the wrong way. And that's the importance of these letters that we're seeing, and that's why Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians. So, the next thing we're going to look at from here, that's a little bit of the history. We're going to look at the audience to who Paul was writing this to. Now, Paul had a primary audience, and the primary audience shares the name of the book. It's the Colossian church. But who exactly makes up the Colossian church? If you go to Colossians 1, we can see exactly who Paul was talking to. Colossians 1.1 starts out, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. So who do we see him writing this to? We see him writing this to the Colossian Christians, a specific subset of the people in Colossae. It says, to the saints and faithful brothers. He was writing this as his primary audience to believers, to those who had given their life and made a profession that Christ is their Lord. Now, there is a secondary audience. Like with many of the letters, they were not just written to one church and they were kept there, they were stored there, and no one ever saw them. There was a secondary audience that we see. In order to get there, we have to go back to the end of the book, Colossians 4. If we go to Colossians 4, we read in verse 16. And in verse 16, we see here that Paul says, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So, we see that Paul has in mind a secondary audience here. So, not only to the Colossians, but also to the Laodiceans. Now, if you'll back up one slide, I forgot to mention this. 
There's, uh, sorry, one more. There is a, as we look at this map, there is a kind of a, a blow up of that area right around the Lycus River there. We see the Lycus River kind of in the top of the screen. Um, and right in that area where it splits, there is Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. You see that in the upper right-hand portion of that map. And the reason why I wanted to show this is because it's important for us to understand the geography of where this is at, because look how far those are apart. Now, if you didn't have a scale, you wouldn't be able to understand or really put that into perspective. But these cities, Laodicea and Colossae, were only about six miles apart. Only about six miles apart. That's not very far, is it? No. So think about it like this. <clears throat> if we were talking about the distance between here and Change Point, that's probably 10 miles-ish. So it's closer than that, all right? So that's not that far. We're talking about the distance, less than the distance from here to the Fort Rich Gate for those that are going north, all right? Shorter than the distance between here and Snow City Cafe, if you guys are familiar with Snow City. Yeah, great place for good eggs Benedict. All right, but, sorry, my mouth is watering now. Hold on. All right, <laughs> let's get back to this. So where is Paul when he's writing this? You can go back to the slide that talks about the audience. Where is Paul writing this? So currently, this letter we think was written about 62 A.D., so 62 AD, Paul, we think, was converted sometime between 33 and 36 AD, a couple years after Christ died. So Paul was converted on the road to um, Damascus, and then he began his work. About 25 years later, Paul is now in Rome in prison, and he is writing this letter to the church in Colossae. And how do we know this? How do we know that Paul was imprisoned? Um, we read that again back in Colossians 1 when he says, <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So we see that Paul is with Timothy here. And he continues on in the letter talking about his sufferings. We go to Colossians 1.24. And he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh I am filling up with what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. We heard about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, in our study of Colossians. So Paul is enduring suffering. He's enduring affliction. Verse 29, it says, For this I toil, struggling with all my energy, that he powerfully works, excuse me, with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. See, Paul is, we, we're building this picture of Paul's suffering. And then 4.18, verse 18 says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So Paul is reminding them that it is in fact him that is writing this and that he is in chains. Now this is not, I, I don't think this is a metaphorical chains. I think this is a reminder of the physical affliction he was going through, the actual chains and bondage he was dealing with as he was um, imprisoned in Rome. Something else we see, and why would Paul write to two different people? So we go back, we understand why, where Paul was, who he was writing to. Why write to the Laodiceans? Why does it matter? Well, we think, or I believe, after reading through Colossians a few times, uh, multiple times, that Paul really, really loved the Colossian people. He had a, a heart for these people. Why do I say that? Colossians 2, 1 and 2. 
For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face. Colossians 4, 13 through 16, he says, For I bear witness that he has worked hard for you, talking about Epaphras, and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. And then in verse 16, we go back to him talking about the letter that should be read to the Laodiceans. To Laodiceans. Paul had a heart for these people. He had never seen them, but he had a heart for them. So why did he have a heart for them? Well, I believe it's because he had a heart and a love for Epaphras. Now, where was Epaphras at this time? Well, we think that he was there ministering to Paul or maybe even imprisoned with Paul in Rome. And we get that from chapter 14, what we just, uh, or just before that, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, this is verse 12 of chapter 4, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you. So he is with Paul as Paul is writing this. He says, he greets you, always struggling on your behalf and in your prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So Epaphras was there with Paul as this was writing, and he communicated to him who the Laodicean church was and how much he loved them and how much he had a heart for them. So what we believe, what I believe, and what the commentators believe on this is that Epaphras was kind of a bishop over a region uh, right around Colossae, maybe even heading up a church in Colossae, but being an overseer of multiple churches. You saw Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae were all within about six to ten miles of each other. So he was probably overseeing those churches. And then there were specific pastors maybe over each individual church. And that's where we come into um, this passage that we're talking about today. That's what we're um, I'm trying to build a picture for you for. So Epaphras went to go see Paul. He left his bishopship, if you will, or his bishop position for a little while, probably for multiple months, maybe a year or so, in order to travel to Rome. And there had to be someone there to step in the place while he was gone. And this is where I believe that Archippus comes into place. So Paul wrote this, primary audience, Colossian Christians, secondary audience, the Laodicean Christians. Now, the question we have here is what is Paul's command? What is he instructing, or excuse me, who is he instructing with this? And then secondly, what is Paul's instruction? As we read through this, we understand that Paul says to the people here, see that you see that you. So who is that you? So the first question we're going to look at is, who is Paul instructing? Now I ask you, what does Paul actually say in this? What does Paul say? If we go to the next slide, you'll, we'll build this for your note taker. He says, say to Archippus. Again, we, I go back to that question, who is to say this to Archippus? Well, the obvious question goes back to what we just talked about, the Colossian and the Laodicean Christians. They are meant to say something to Archippus. Or, excuse me, I, I'm messing this up again. She's giving me a little smile. Archippus. I'll try to fix that. Now, who is Archippus? I've built you this picture of this 
this guy, we've talked about him being kind of the head of maybe a church. Well, I believe that Archippus is the pastor in the church in Laodicea. You see, he's only mentioned twice in the Bible, here in Colossians 4, and then he's also mentioned in Philemon verse 2. And he's referred to there as Archippus, our fellow soldier. Now, the fact that he was called our fellow soldier means that he's a believer. He is not just a believer, though. He is a soldier. He is one who is fighting. He is one who is working hard. He is laboring for the gospel. He's not just someone that is a casual bystander, not someone who says, yep, that's, you know, God is, God is great. God is good. Let's go eat. That's not who Archippus is. He is one who is taken on a role of leadership, taken on a role of action, and he is doing hard work, and he is toiling, he is struggling, he is a fellow soldier. All the reasons, all these reasons play into why we believe and why the commentators believe that he was a pastor in Laodicea. Chapter 4, 12 through 17 kind of further builds that. As Paul is talking to the Colossians throughout the book, sometimes speaking to the Laodicean church, he then goes into a long passage here, starting in verse 12, about the Laodicean church, about Epaphras, about his leadership role, about how he was struggling on their behalf, and then talking about how he wanted this read to the Laodicean church. And then he speaks about Archippus. So, what is Paul's point with telling this church, the Colossian church and the Laodicean church, to say something to Archippus? He clearly had a reason for saying something. And not only that, you may not believe that he had a reason, but the Holy Spirit had a reason for including this in the Word. There's a reason why God, by his Holy Spirit, made Paul write this. And this is what I believe. I believe that it is to spur Archippus on in his ministry. You see, if you take another look at the Bible, if you go all the way to Revelation and look at where the Laodicean church ended up, it was one of the seven churches talked about in Revelations. And not only that, it was the only church in the book of Revelations that God had nothing good to say about. Jesus had nothing good to say about that church. In fact, it is a church that you've heard this reference before where he said, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but you are lukewarm. And because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. It's the only church that he had nothing good to say about. Now, if we understand that this is a prophetic vision that John had on the Isle of Patmos as he was sitting there exiled, we understand that this is looking into the future. And so, as we look at Paul's letter, we understand that this is a, a church that is preceding what Paul is seeing in his vision. So what do we, we're building this picture about Archippus. We kind of, I kind of feel that maybe he started out strong in his ministry. He was working hard. He was toiling. He was struggling. And now that, that Epaphras has left He's taken on an added role, and maybe he's become overwhelmed with this added role of overseeing both Laodicea, Colossae, maybe even Hierapolis. Maybe he's dealing with some significant struggles. We've already built a picture for you in the past of what was going on, the the fallacies that they were combating in the Colossian church. So we know that they were dealing with some significant struggles. So maybe he's 
feeling um, tired or worn out because of continually fighting. So why did Paul point, or what was Paul's point with saying to Archippus what he said? Well, let me give you what John Calvin says, because I think it's very, uh, very pertinent, very poignant. John Calvin says, Paul accordingly, who would have him be more fully encouraged by the exhortation of the whole church. He might have admonished him in his own name individually, but he gives this charge to the Colossians that they may know that they must themselves employ incitements if they see their pastor cold and if the pastor himself does not refuse to be admonished by the church. You see, I believe John has it right here. John Calvin has it right that it is, Paul wrote this to the church to remind them that they have a responsibility to their pastor. You see, they have a responsibility not to talk about the pastor, not to talk around the pastor or behind his back if they don't see him working like they think he should. They also shouldn't leave the church because they don't see the pastor doing what they think he should be doing. What they should do is they should talk to the pastor. Next slide, please. They should, it's our responsibility as Christians to make sure that we are spurring on our pastors just as much as they are spurring us on to love and good deeds. That is our responsibility. We owe that to them. They are stepping into a role as pastors that is extremely difficult. Connie and I talked a little bit about yesterday at Corporate Prayer about spiritual warfare that's going on. We know that it's out there. And it is our job as the flock to make sure that we are upholding our pastors. We should not be in received mode. We should be in served mode. There are times that we're going to receive from them the devotion and the effort they have into pouring over the scriptures and providing us with what God is saying to them through the uh, exposition of the word. But it is our job to support them when they need it as well. When we see them down, we need to call and encourage them. Say, hey, you're doing a great job. Let me help you out. What can I do to help you? That's our job as Christians. I think this also applies to the elders and the deacons of the church as well. Anyone that is in leadership role in a church, it's our job to help encourage them, support them, and spur them on in their ministry. The second thing we're going to look at here is what is Paul's instruction? I'm going to start going a little bit faster, so hang on here as we start going through Scripture. What is Paul's instruction? We see that he says, specifically in here, see that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. We're going to break this down into two parts. The first one is the see you fulfill the ministry. And the second one is going to be that you have received in the Lord. So what does it mean to have a ministry or what does ministry mean? Key point here I want you to take away from is that ministry is not to be mistaken with gifts. Every one of us has gifts Every one of us has talents. Even those that are non-Christians have talents and gifts. Every single person has been endowed by God with certain gifts. And as Christians, when we give our lives over to Christ, it's our job to then apply those gifts in God's service. 
So gifts are an area where God calls us to apply our gifting. Your ministry is your mission. That is what God is calling you to apply your gifts to. What he is saying that I have designed you and made you specifically to achieve this purpose, utilizing these gifts I have given you. Your gifts are those tools to accomplish that mission. So there's also the, as if you've ever been in a huddle or been through discipleship, there's an idea of what ministry really is. And there's a five-fold ministry uh, illustration we have that we get from Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, but specifically 11 and 12. And in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it says, and he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the works of the ministry. You see, notice the works of the ministry. There's clearly a difference between that because we apply the works to the ministry. For the, and the purpose there is to edify the body of Christ. Now, what does it mean that we fulfill that ministry? It means that each of us has a ministry. Now, Each of us has a ministry, and we're supposed to work diligently in that ministry with perseverance. 2 Timothy 4, 17 through 18 says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it, so that I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, we're supposed to continue even when we have trials, even when we have struggles, even when we're needing to be rescued from the lion's mouth. We're supposed to continue and work diligently with perseverance. We're also supposed to work with gentleness, humility, patience, long-suffering, and with love. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, this is another one of Paul's letters, he's saying, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all gentleness and humility, with patience and bearing with one another in love. And finally, we continue working diligently with perseverance and with gentleness, humility, patience, long-suffering, and love, in order to attain what? In order till we attain full maturity, till we attain a completeness. Verse 13 of that same chapter says, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Don't get thrown off by the manhood there. What The picture that we're being drawn to here is the idea that God wants us to be fully mature. He doesn't want us to be babies anymore. Doesn't want us to be children. We're supposed to strive and toil and work hard in the gifting that he's given us and apply it to the ministry so that we may be made mature in him and be able to work more fully for him. We see Peter's example here in 1 Peter 4.10. He says, As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Recognize that God does not give every single person the same gifting. He calls it a varied grace. He applies 
some people to be teachers, some to be uh, some with gifts of servanthood, some with gifts of giving, some with gifts of musical talent. I don't have musical talent like the ones up here do, but they do, and they're applying that to God's ministry that he has for them. Some of us have gifts of teaching. Some of us have gifts of administration. We're supposed to apply those giftings to whatever ministry he's called us to. with the goal of attaining unity of the faith, unity within the church. Paul's example from Philippians 3.12, we see that he says, not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it known because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's talking about continuing to press on in spite of all the struggles that he deals with. See, Paul ran with perseverance because he remembered the life he lived was bought and paid for by Christ. And it belonged to him because it was bought and paid for by Christ. Now, we understand that, just like Paul does, that this means that we receive our ministry from the Lord. And that's the second part of this passage is, the fact that we received our ministry from the Lord. Each of you has received a ministry. You may not know what it is right now. But that's something that you have to search out with God and ask God to tell you and speak to you, what is that ministry you've called me to? I know, I recognize you've given me gifts. There are things that I'm good at. There's things that I have talents with. How do I minister to your kingdom with those gifts? There's a whole list of scriptures here. We're going to barrel through them really quick. John 17, 4, Jesus himself says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Hebrews 2, 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed to his will. Paul mentions this in multiple times in the letters that he wrote to the various churches he wrote to. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, he says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and he continues on to talk about the gifts of those people within the church. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may know what God's good and perfect will is. Verse six of that same chapter says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. See, each of us has different gifts the body of Christ is made up of many people with many different gifts. And we should not think that because I have one gift, vice another, because my gifting brings me into the limelight and your gifting may be one that works behind the scenes, that one gift is better than another. Because the church of God, the big church, does not work unless we all work together for the common purpose of glorifying God. 1 Corinthians 12.4 now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, 
but the same God that empowers them all in everyone. Man, that's so good. Now, the last point we have today is that we receive a ministry from God. We don't make it. We don't own that ministry. We are stewards of the ministry. We hold it with open hands because there are times where God may call us to go do something else, to apply our giftings in a different ministry. For me, what that's looked like is he's put me in the military and I move every three to five years. So I may have a ministry for a short period of time in a certain place where I'm at and I may then get told, hey, you're moving. Or he might say, hey, you're deploying now. You're going to be gone for six months. Now it's time for you to go apply your ministry in a different place. We must always remember that any ministry we're working in is but for a temporary time. It may be for a few years. It may be for our whole lifetime, but in the scope of eternity, that is a temporary time. And God can take that from us whenever he wills. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, before the beginning of the earth, God chose us to have a ministry. He chose us to have gifts and to apply those gifts in that ministry. Before time began, he did that. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The man of a heart plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. It's a reminder that every single thing we do, God is the one that should be guiding us. And if we're working against him, then sometimes he might forcefully guide our steps. <laughs> he might make us make it better, very readily apparent that we're trying to resist his calling and his will and his ministry that he wants us to do. So as we close today, I've got two questions for you that I want you to think about, maybe meditate on today. What is God telling you with this? What is God saying to you? Because God's words are not idle. They're not out there frivolously. God doesn't just say things for the sake of saying things to hear his own voice. God says things for a purpose. God gave us our hearts for him to speak to us and place upon us the burdens that he says, I want you specifically to go do this. What is God saying to you? What is the ministry that God is calling to you? How does he want you to apply the gifts and talents that he has given to you? Maybe it's working with young lives. Maybe it's working here at the church Certain people have stepped up into audiovisual, into sound system, into playing music, into working with children. There's lots of different ministries that are out there, people that have gifts of service. Maybe it's teaching. Maybe it's in administration. What talents has God given you? What gifts has he given you? And secondly, the second question I have for you today is, what are you going to do about it? Because if God is speaking to you, it's not just for you to hear, then store, and not do anything about it. He is speaking to you with a specific purpose that he wants you to act upon it. 
So today I want you to take some time if, you, if you're able or throughout this next week to write down what is God saying to you. Write it down and then answer that question, what am I going to do about it? If you guys will stand with me, please. <laughs> Bow your heads. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for today. We thank you so much for giving us your word. We thank you so much for reminding us today that you have gifted us with many gifts to apply to a ministry that you have for us, that you created us to do. Maybe that ministry God is encouraging like you called the Colossian church to do to Archippus to spur their leadership on, to work hard, continue the work that you've called them to do. God, I don't know what you've gifted every single person here to do, but I ask you that you would speak to them through your spirit to make it very clear and very evident. And not only that, that they would listen to what you have to say to them and that they would be able to hear not only that, but also hear how you want them to apply it and what you want them to do about it. God, maybe there are some here that don't know what their ministry is, don't know their gifting. And maybe that's because they don't know really what it means to have a ministry in you or how to apply their gifts to you because they may not know you. God, if there's anyone here today, I pray that you would place a burden on their heart to come speak to me, to come speak to one of the elders, to come speak to Pastor Greg, to talk to us, someone that knows you and loves you about what it means to have a relationship with you, a relationship that gives us a purpose, that gives us a ministry. For anyone out there, God, that is listening to this that doesn't know what their ministry, what you've called them to do, I pray that you would make that readily apparent to them. And not only that, but give them the courage to act upon that calling that you've placed on them. God, ultimately, it's your church. It's your world. And all that we do is for your glory. And I pray that this time today spoke to someone's heart about the ministry you have for them and that you were glorified in it. As we go from this place, God, may your peace and may your joy and may your grace fall upon us for your glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.